We are thrilled that you're here today. All right, I need you to um, buckle your seatbelt, okay, and to sit back. And this is not an enjoyable ride, these first two minutes. I'm going to read you a story that's pretty intense, okay? So I've, I've warned everybody, right? All right, here we go. This is from a church in uh, North Carolina, and uh, it's a really cool church. But here's what the pastor said. Tom and Lisa sat in the same seats every Sunday morning at the 9.30 service. Sometimes they take up the whole row with all the people they brought to church with them. At the beginning of 2012, I had this crazy idea, he said. What if we had an old-school, old-fashioned 12-night revival to kick off 2012? We brought in some of the greatest preachers in the world. I wasn't invited. Uh, Lines... Lines are, just kidding, lines wrapped around the building each night, and you better believe that Tom and Lisa were hanging tough, front of the line, hardcore, night after night. For six of those nights, their 17-year-old son, Riley, was by their side. From the 10th night of the revival, Riley was fresh off from final exams of the first semester of his junior year in high school, and Tom and Lisa gave their son permission to take the night off. Be safe, Tom said as, as he left the church. Four hours later, when Tom and Lisa turned their phones back on after the revival and they exited the building after the worship experience, it was obvious that something abnormal was going on. Both of their phones were buzzing and beeping, flooded with message after message. Surely the updates they were seeing couldn't be true. They quickly returned a phone call from an unknown number. Then in just 12 words, a state trooper transported the layman's from the middle of a 12-night revival to the bottom of every parent's nightmare. Get to the hospital right away. Your son's been in an accident. They called the hospital, got a hold of a hospital administrator, and she said, I am very sorry to tell you, but your son did not survive the accident. And in a moment, as Tom and Lisa later described to me, Life became one giant void. The pain was more crippling than anything they had ever faced, and wave after wave, it just kept coming. Their son died of all times while they were in church. The church Riley and his father founded together. The church where Riley was baptized. The church they invited people to weekly. The church where they'd stood in line for revival ten nights in a row. Now it was the church they were attending on the Friday night where their son was killed. In an instant, all the sermons they'd been resonating in their minds and their hearts for 10 days gave way to the kind of desperate questions that anyone would ask in a moment like this. Why, God? Why would you let this happen? Really? During church? Everyone else knew before us. We weren't even able to take the call. He was already in the morgue before we even got there. We prayed for his safety. No one cared for him as much as we did. Why would you take our son? God, where are you? There is no hiding in times like this. Our internal antagonist breaks through loud and clear, demanding to be heard. But even in the crisis moments and nightmare sessions, God speaks. And our ability to hear his voice above all others can be the difference between the life and death of our faith. It's humbling when, as a pastor, he wrote, you watch someone's situation spiral into the pit of hell, and you reach out to help them, but they're already standing. 
That's what happened the morning I went to preach Riley's funeral. I wasn't sure what kind of doubt might be prevailing in the hearts of Tom and Lisa or their 14-year-old daughter, Emma. I thought I was going to preach words of comfort to them, but somehow, three days after the worst possible what-if scenario started shaking the foundation of the family, Tom stood and gave, the strength to pre- gave me the strength to preach as I prepared to preach to a 1,000 people. Pastor, he said, only one thing matters today. We want these people, we want them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And please don't hold back. We know Riley had a relationship with God, and we know a lot of these people don't. So please make the devil pay today and tell these people about Jesus. At Riley's funeral, more than 100 teenagers made a public profession of their faith. And eight months after Riley's death, as the layman's prepared to share their story with our entire church, Tom wrote this in his prayer journal. He said, God, I'm thankful that I did not know your plan, but that I do know you. I see how you have cared for us and looked out for us, not just when we needed it, but in your all-knowing way, loved us before we thought we were even in need or knew we were in need. And I will trust you when I did not know or see the end because you are good, loving, and faithful. And your ways are better than my best thoughts and intentions. I love you, God. And I want to be like your son, my Savior Jesus, in whose name I approach the throne. Amen. Now, how do you think clearly about your faith at a time like that? How how do you think clearly that your heavenly father still is squarely seated on his throne? He's not fallen off the throne. And that he has your best interest and your best intentions in mind. Well, the psalmist this morning is going to tell us about how we can really be blessed and how we can be better off because of some of our focus about the scriptures. And what I want to do this morning, I'm going to give you a challenge at the very end, but what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about for us to be able to have that blessed life that God has in store for you and in store for me, there are certain detachments that have to take place and certain attachments that have to happen. And I think all of us in the room kind of get the slide I want to put on the screen right now. Your attachments will determine your future. I, I think we all get that. Well, we all know that. Now, whether we, we want, want to embrace that or not, that's a different story. But we, we know that whatever we hooked our wagon up to, we know that, that that will be our future. And so the psalmist today tells us that you can be blessed if you delight yourself in the law of the Lord. And you will be blessed if you learn to meditate on, on God's amazing word. Now, just real quickly to get that started. In your bulletin, I want to let you fill in seven quick blanks if you're a, a note taker and a, and, a, and a blank filler inner. But I'm just going to give you these real quick. I'm not sure that's good grammar, but I like it. Um, here we go. Here are seven amazing promises that the Bible gives to you and gives to me. In other words, these are, these are phenomenal promises that God's Bible, these all come from Psalm 119. Here's the first one. The Bible will keep you from sin. Now, again, I think we all get this. I think we all in the room know that sin entraps and living righteously sets us free. Now, whether or not we want to do it or not, that's a different story. But I think we all get this. We all in the room understand Psalm 119 verse 11, that the Bible will keep us from sin. Number two, the Bible will lift your burdens. 
Psalm 119, verse 28, tells us the Bible is a burden lifter. It lifts our burdens. Number three, another amazing promise from the Bible is the Bible will guide your steps. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. This is an incredible perk that the Bible gives to us. Number four, the Bible will bring you joy. Psalm 119, verse 111, it will bring you joy. Number five, the Bible will lead you to wisdom. Psalm 119, verse 130, the Bible promises to give you and lead you toward wisdom. Number six, the Bible will give you peace. Now, is there anybody in the room that doesn't want more peace? Yeah, I'd like some more anxiety in my life. I mean, everybody in the room wants peace, right? And the psalmist is telling us in just a minute, in Psalm chapter 1, you're blessed if you delight yourself in the law of the Lord. You are better off if you learn to meditate on God's word. So he, he tells us we can have peace. And then number seven is the Bible brings us back to God. Amazing perks, amazing promises, amazing. The Bible will bring you back to God. There we go. Psalm 119, verse 176. It promises to, do, to those seven amazing things in your life. And so here's what he says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 2. Here's verse 2, and we'll come back and look at the whole psalm. He says, he starts off by saying, you'll be blessed if you delight in the law of the Lord. Now, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. And this week, I went through it, and I just started, I was, I was shocked to discover in the first 50 verses of Psalm 119, 44 out of 50 times, 44 out of 50 times, the author says, oh, how I love your word. Oh, how I love your ordinances. Oh, how I love your statutes. Oh, how I love your decrees. Oh, how I love your, your scripture. 44 out of the first 50 verses of Psalm 119 just talks about the value of the scriptures in your life and in mine. And here's what he's saying. You will be blessed if you delight yourself and if you meditate in the law of the Lord. All right, and let's be honest. Our Bible reading kind of goes hit and miss. It's hot or cold. It's on or off. We roll into it or, or we roll off of it, right? And, and here's what I don't want to do this morning. I don't, want to, I don't want you to leave today with this burden of guilt, I know some of you have come from very fundamental Protestant churches, and they like beat you up about the, reading the Bible. And others of you have come from maybe some Catholic environments, and where you've made, been made to feel kind of guilty. That is not my goal today. My goal today is for you to walk out of here going, man, if I could, if I could just learn to do that. See, I think you value the Bible, or you wouldn't be here. I think you value the scriptures or you wouldn't keep coming back to church week after week. It's not a lack of value. It's a how question. You're not quite sure how. You're not quite sure how to do this in your busy life. You are busy. And you've got to go and blow and you're busy doing things. It's not an issue of do you value it. I think it's a question of how can I still go to work and delight myself in the law of the Lord. How can I still go to school? Sorry, you can't quit school. How can I still go to school and meditate on God? How can I think biblically and look through the lenses of Scripture? I, I don't think it's a value question. Maybe with a couple of you it is. I think it's a how question. How do I do this in my life? Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says this. It says, you're blessed 
And that's just the Hebrew word for happy. It's a great word. You will be happy. He tells you, first of all, what not to do. This will not make you happy. Blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the seat in the company of mockers. So that's not going to make you happy. But here's what will make you better and better off. You learn to delight in the law of the Lord, and you learn how to meditate on his law day and night with your very busy schedule. Look at the next verse. You see, if you can do that, if you learn to do that, you're like this tree, and he uses the analogy of a tree. You're like a tree that's planted by a stream of this steady supply of fresh water. And this tree has so much moisture and nutrients that this tree yields its fruit in season, and its leaves do not wither. And whatever the person does, because they've meditated and they've delighted themselves in the law of the Lord, they prosper. Look at the picture of this beautiful tree by the water. This tree, because it's by the water, is just gorgeous, gorgeous leaves. This tree can withstand strong winds. This tree can withstand drought. This tree can withstand, some trees can even withstand fire when they're this close next, next to water. And his point is, you're going to have droughts. You're going to have fire. You're going to have wind. You're going to have all kinds of issues in your life. That's the, the Riley, Riley's parents did that. Can you imagine how Tom and Lisa felt when they got the phone call? You're going to have storms of life. But if you delight yourself in the law of the Lord... And if you meditate, see, I, I think you're already going, okay, well, how? how? How do I do that? Well, not yet. Well, not the yet. Verse 4, but not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Now, some of us are from Indiana, and we got the cornfields going everywhere, right? And you see the corn, and corn's got lots of chaff. Some of you are from Kansas or wherever, and you got the wheat. And those are beautiful wheat fields. You ever seen a wheat field ripe like that? How many of you seen that? Golden waves, man, that's a cool picture. But the chaff that comes off the wheat and the chaff that comes off the corn, it's dead. And you can water that chaff till the cows come home and it doesn't help anything. It's dead. My grandpa Smith and I, we would grow popcorn. And I loved the popcorn and we'd grow it. And the popcorn ears are too small to go through his sheller. And so we'd have to do it by hand. And we're upstairs in their house. I can still remember this because grandma got so mad. We're upstairs in the house shelling that popcorn. And the chaff's just blowing everywhere. It's all over her draperies and all over the floor. And she was still mad. But it was worth every minute of it. But the chaff is not good for anything. Look at the next verse, verse 5. Therefore... The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Verse 6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Okay, push pause for just a second. I've got to say this because we're talking about biblical meditation, not Eastern meditation. Give me 30 seconds and I'll explain this. There's a great big difference between the two. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with something. Eastern meditation is emptying your mind. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with God's truth. Eastern meditation is emptying your mind so that somehow the big cosmic mind can, can, can come into you. That's dangerous. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about biblical meditation. Now, all of us in this room, 
if you could somehow like get all your thoughts like on a spreadsheet, which that would be dangerous, some of you would be arrested, but if we could get, if we get your thoughts and, and you began to see what fills your mind, what, what's going through your head, on, 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 what, what's, what's dominating the space in, inside of you. Here's what psychologists teach. Some of you that grew up in poverty, you think about money all the time how to make money, how to earn money, how to have money, how, how do I get more money. Some of you that grew up in poverty, pretty much what you think about is, is, is money. Some of you that grew up and you were like a little helpless, you didn't have a whole lot of leverage in your life, you grow up thinking about power and control, control and power. So you try to control everything and you try to have power in everything. So Some of you that grew up and you were like invisible, like, like your spouse, not your spouse, but your, your sibling, your sibling had got more attention than you did. You, you, you grew up and you kind of feel or think that you're invisible. So you grow up with image management and you try to manage the, your image in every context that you're in. You want to look good. You want to sound good. You drop names. You do everything you can to manage your, your, your image. Some of you grew up in it like you were a victim. Something happened in your life. Something happened in your home. You, you, you grow up then possibly with, with revenge or, or, or with bitterness. And, and the point is, for us to be able to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord and to meditate on those attachments, what do we need to be detached from? And so what are the things in your life that really are messing with you? They just mess with you. And they keep you from having the attachments that God has in store for you. Now, everybody in the room's got something messing with their thoughts. Everybody does. And so before I get to the how to that, let me just mention four of these really quickly. There's at least four different things that will keep you from the proper attachments. The first one is people. That's why Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, he starts off with this. He says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step or the wicked, or stand, or sit, and he's talking about people. That's kind of interesting. This is kind of Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry always is backwards to how you and I think as Westerners. We would have said, don't sit, don't stand, and don't walk. But Hebrew poetry is always backwards. He said, don't be walking with them, don't be standing with them, and don't be sitting with them. It's just the backwards of how you and I would do this. Thought that was interesting. Nobody else thought it was interesting? I thought it was interesting in the room. You look you look at me like, who cares? It's all right. I love you too. I love you too. Um, what what I what I think is is interesting about people is this is why we as parents freak out about who your friends are. Right? This is why my parents freaked out about my friends. This is why I freak out about my kids' as friends. This is why when you grow up and have your own kids, you will freak out just like we're not old and stupid because we've made these mistakes. And we know that people can greatly impact us. And you've heard me say this before. Show me your friends. I'll show you your, your future. And it's so true. So, so number one is people. People will keep you from the proper attachments in your life. Number two is loving the world. He, just, he defines this in 1, Peter chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, 
the love the Father has is not in them. For, now, he, now he describes it. He's not saying don't love the ocean, the trees. And he's, he's talking about something different. He says everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. And the world and its desires are passing away. So don't love the world. There's a, th- there's a third component that keeps us from removing unhealthy detachments and getting proper attachments, and that's just life. I mean, we're all busy. Life keeps us busy. You're going to school. No, you can't quit. You're going to work. You're raising a family. You have to earn income. You have to care for aging parents. Life can so quickly get us distracted. Number four are electrical devices. Electrical devices. Um, You're not going to like this. But I'm just asking you to spend 15 minutes a day with God. The average person in America spends 127 minutes a day on Facebook or checking texts or checking their emails from some type of electrical devices. 127 minutes a day is texting, emails, mobile apps, tweeting, checking all that stuff, and Facebook. 127 minutes a day. And you've heard me say this before. Don't you think it's time to get your face out of Facebook and to get your face in the Word of God? I guess I have a smartphone. How many of us in the room have a smartphone? Guess how many times the average person in America checks their smartphone every day? 150 times a day. That's average in America. 150 times a day. I, I didn't think that was true. So the other day, I started keeping account of it. I, I quit. I quit keeping account of it. I tried to keep account for one hour, and I kept forgetting that I was checking it. It's, it's disaster. Can, can we not spend a little bit of time? During the fast, some of you fasted from Facebook. I thought, well, that's crazy. And then you told me about how much more time you spent with the Lord. Very interesting, isn't it? Okay, so, so what do we do? Then? I want to talk about the hows. How can we do this? I think you value the Bible. I, I think you've got to be the village idiot to think that sin is going to bring you freedom. I think everybody knows that sin brings us disaster. So, so how, do we, how, how do we do this? Well, I'm going to tell you what I've done. And again, this is not to do what I do. This is just some examples, but for you to figure out what works best for you. I, one of the things that I do is I pick a scripture that fits to a topic that I'm struggling with or a topic that I, I'm not doing well in. And I, I, I'll camp out on that verse. It could be a day. It could be six months. It could be a year. But I will write that verse down on a three-by-five card. I will put it in my pocket. I used to do this. I used to put them in my pocket when I was running, and I would go run and, and memorize that Scripture verse. Uh, you, could, you can tape it on your bathroom mirror. You can put it in your car. Um, one of my children has a tendency to drive too fast, puts it right over the speedometer, and I think that's a, a by design so she can't see, so Erica doesn't know how fast she's going. But I, but I won't tell you which child this is. But anyway, you write down your Scripture verse, and you, you commit it to your life and you commit it to memory. So let me just give you some examples. The first one is, for all of us, is temptation. The first one is temptation. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 is a verse that I think you need to know. 
Not just so you can quote it, you know, occasionally, but if we woke you up at 3 o'clock in the morning from a dead sleep, you could quote this verse because it becomes so much a part of you. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can, what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so that you, you can endure it. Here's what he's saying. There's not a single temptation that you have that's not normal and common. And when you are tempted, God says, I will provide a way out. There's always, so you don't have an excuse and I don't have an excuse. So that, that's just a verse about temptation. Does anybody in the room struggle with temptation? We all do. Every single one. And temptations change as you age. I got temptations in my 50s now that I didn't have in my 20s. And I thought I'd get over a temptation. It doesn't really get better. They just change. And so this is a verse to hang on to. Number two, here's another topic. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe you wake up every morning with just pressure and anxiety. Well, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 is one that maybe you quote over and over and over and over again. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Okay, Lord, I'm nervous again. I'm anxious again. Number three, these are just suggestions. Number three, maybe you're a perfectionist. And you're one of those people that dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And for you, 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 you got to chill just a little bit. Romans chapter 6, 14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, you're under grace. You and I are under grace. We've already been saved. We're already going to heaven. We're, we're under grace. And maybe that's for you. Number four, maybe yours is faith. You read a story like Tom and Lisa and about Riley passing away, and it just rattles you. Maybe, maybe you need to bolster your faith. Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Number five, maybe you're a braggart. Maybe you're dropping names and you're telling people how good you are and what you've accomplished. And you just kind of listen. You just kind of can hear people and they brag and they brag. Well, if you're like one of those, then here's something to brag about. Here's what Paul says in Galatians six fourteen: May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number six, maybe it's giving. You, you, you know how to work, you know how to earn money, but maybe you struggle with giving. Jesus said this in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And maybe you need to write that down. Maybe you need to remember that. Maybe every place you go, you think about that. Number seven, salvation. How do I give my life to Christ? How, how does this work in, in the real world in my life? Maybe this is a verse that you write down. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe number eight is about direction. And, and Denise and I, we pray this prayer for ourselves, direction. We pray this for our kids every day. We pray this for our church every day. Dean and Jonathan and I, we get together, we pray this, this prayer. And direction comes from Revelation chapter 3 verse 7. And Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 basically says, he opens doors that no one can close. But he closes doors that no one can open. I think that's what you want. Lord, open doors in my life that no one can close. But for goodness sakes, close doors that no one can open so I'm not wasting time. That's Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Look at the next one. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe you've really struggled with this. 
Now you read about forgiveness, you know it's in the Bible, but you don't feel very forgiven. Well, Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against one another, forgive as the Lord has forgave you. If you don't feel forgiven, that's your verse. You hang on to that verse. Maybe it's hope. Maybe you just really need some hope in your life. I like Colossians 1.27. Man, that's a cool verse. Colossians 1.27 basically says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. You need some hope? You got Christ living inside of you, and he gives you that hope, that amazing hope of glory. Maybe that's a step for you. Let me give you just another, another quick, quick example is, Maybe mornings work out for you and you got your thing going on in the morning with the Bible. Maybe you get a break and you can go take a break in a park or something and read some scripture. Maybe on your way to work, it's a, it's a 12 minute drive and you can use your smartphone. That's part of your 127 minutes. You use your smartphone and, and, and you just listen to scripture on, on the way to work. You see, the point about this is, is, is God wants to bless you. He wants to give you clarity. He wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to be. So he's saying, blessed is the person who like thinks biblically. Blessed is the person who before they make a decision, they see through the lenses of scripture. Happy are those people who like embrace the truth of of God's amazing word. And so I, I can't tell you how to, make this applicable in your life. One of the other things that I do at night now, about nine o'clock at night, I'm done watching the news. That makes me not sleep well at night. I'm done with the news. And I've got to walk through the Bible, reading Bible. It's got a daily reading program. It's three to five chapters a a day. And I'm I'm just reading through that. I'm just praying through that. I'm just meditating on that before I go to sleep every night. The point is not to do what I do. The point is to figure out in your context what works for you. Is it scripture memorization? Is it a verse that you camp out on for six months? Is it four or five chapters a day? I don't don't think I can tell you what to do. I think you have to figure out your context. But here's what I am asking you to do today. Take one small step, just one small baby step. If you've never memorized a verse in your life, pick your greatest area of frustration or concern or struggle. Pick a verse and just write it down on your phone or your computer or three by five card and go over it every day, every day, every day, every day. Can you spend 15 minutes? I mean, come on. (laughs) Come on. You spend 127 minutes every day on electrical devices. I think you'd be a whole lot smarter and you'd be a whole lot better off if you spent at least 15 minutes with the King of Kings and how he can guide and shape and direct the course of your life. Would would your life be better and would you be better off if you spent some of that time gaining some wisdom and truth and insight and knowledge from the scriptures? And you see, this is, this is where I'm done. I'm done. Because I, I, I don't think it's a value issue. I really think 
99% of you in this room value the scriptures. I, I really do. 33 years of doing this as a pastor, I think the believers value the Bible. But I really think what it comes down to, it, it's you're not quite sure how because your context changes every day. And, and, and just you get into one season of life and then before you know it, you're in the next season of life. I mean, this is like raising kids, man. I thought, you know, it took us a couple years to figure out, you know, the whole preschool thing. And then they went to elementary school. That just messed us up royally. Just, you know, now it's a new phase. You're always going to be in a new phase. But what if before you turn from this phase to the next phase, you actually had the scriptures guiding you so you weren't like asking him to get you out of a jam or a mess, but you were actually walking now in faith and in power. All right, let's stand and let's do some singing. You figure out how this fits for you and you put this into practice.